0: You can open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's pray. Father, as always, we are grateful for your word. And Father, it is the desire of our heart to be encouraged and strengthened by your word we want to have a better understanding of life we want to have a better understanding of you how you work in life to have a better understanding of your ways we also Father, desire because we know that it's in your word to have a better understanding of ourselves that father we may be able to live better lives be able to correct those things in our lives that are amiss that we may be able to better enjoy the life you've given us and to look forward to the life that is to come. so, Father, we ask that your Spirit would work in your Word and work your Word into our hearts and our minds. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Beginning in verse 3 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort." For we know that as you share in our, fellow, in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. In verse 5, where Paul writes, For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. It reads in the New American Standard, For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So when you get to verse 5, even though he has, in one sense, mentioned suffering, and that we are going to experience suffering, and that God is the God of all comfort, and he is the one who comforts us in all of our suffering, and we've also seen that part of the purpose of that is so that we then can also share in comforting others. Remember that the word comfort there also carries with it a very, a very heavy aspect of that definition is the idea of Strengthening. And so the idea then of God comforting us is not just making us feeling, to feel at ease, but to strengthen us in and through these difficulties. And the responsibility we have in comforting others, again, is not just to ease their pain and suffering, but it's also to strengthen them so they can withstand them and most likely withstand others, because we want to have a realistic view of life, and that is there really is a lot of suffering going on. Even though our lives, in one sense, they still be relatively good, maybe even especially so in light of those who live in other types of countries and unfortunate circumstances, there is still a great number of things that go wrong. And then for the believer, there is this mindset, I believe, that's presented in scripture, and that is is that we are going to suffer more than others. That doesn't mean that we're going to um, have a worse life than others, but it does mean there's going to be a greater amount of suffering in our lives that kind of goes with the christian life that is the norm uh that's not the norm in our thinking sometimes as believers especially again in our country just because we live really really live in a great place we have an enormous amount of freedom there is an enormous amount of wealth as a result of that there is an enormous number of conveniences that we have available Uh, and along with that there we have access to in most cases, the latest of everything. Not just the latest in technological gadgets, but the latest in the advances in medicine uh, and, and those types of things. And so we really are blessed in incredible ways. So then the idea, then, that the Christian is going to suffer more than others is just not something we, we even want to think about. We maybe often think is just untrue. Sometimes we may think, well, I never signed up for that. Uh, and what we also, again, don't recognize is the situation that we normally find ourselves in in the history of Christianity is a unique period of time. It's unusual. The, 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 I guess the lesser amount of suffering that we experience is unusual. But we still need to know what the Bible says about it because there is still suffering. And for some, there will be more suffering uh, in their lives than with others. And then maybe as a whole, as we kind of look at the landscape, there may be more suffering on the horizon. Maybe not so much for all of us, depending on your age, but definitely for our children, if they're going to walk with the Lord and live a life that they are to live. So in verse 5, though, when he speaks of suffering, he is changing a little bit, and the slant here is that he is primarily now talking about the sufferings we go through because we are followers of Christ. So there is still this idea throughout the Bible that there is suffering, all kinds of suffering, and we are to handle suffering as believers in a particular way. You know, we want to make sure we, we are reflecting well on who Christ is. But there's this other suffering that we're going to experience that others won't, and that is because we follow Christ. And that is to be really expected. Now, sometimes you might experience the suffering of following Christ, and not really recognize it as suffering because it's mild. We we'll say, well, this, you know, there are certain people who don't like me. That's kind of par for the course. And, we, and maybe we're already at a point in our walk with the Lord and our maturity that, that that's just not an issue with us, though it may be a big issue for others. But nonetheless, whatever degree the suffering is going to be in our lives, there are going to be times that we are going to suffer. We're going to experience more than just inconveniences, Because we follow Christ. There are times that we recognize, even in discussions with friends, where a stance for the truth of God is necessary and we struggle. We struggle to say maybe what needs to be said because whether the phrasing in our mind is we don't want to offend or we don't want to uh, bring out a point of conflict, we don't want to increase tension or start a fight. And so we might hesitate, and maybe we do more than just hesitate, we, we give in. If you would, turn to Colossians chapter 1 for a moment. Colossians 1, I want us to think about verse 24 for a moment, because of how Paul words what he says. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. So again, we see a very common attitude that Paul has when it comes to suffering. He chooses to rejoice. So again, that doesn't mean that he is giddy and that he is, in a sense, happy, but he's not depressed, and he's not feeling sorry for himself. There is a deep sense of contentment when he suffers for the sake of God. He is more than just okay with it. He knows it's going to happen, and so in a sense, he embraces it. He's not looking for it. He doesn't try to make it happen, but he embraces it. He he fully accepts it. And he says that he is rejoicing in his sufferings, and he says this for their sake. Then he says this, And in my flesh, I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body, that is the church. What in the world does he mean by that? I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Well, what we need to begin with, whenever we're we're dealing with any kind of phrasing that's difficult in the Bible, what we already should understand is that no matter how difficult any phrasing is, there's never gonna be contradiction to what we know to already be true in the scripture. And so we're not, we're not looking for a loophole or not looking for a contradiction. If, if one seems to us to be apparent, we already know that our conclusion is incorrect. Uh, if, if what we believe to be true and we understand it and it's correct, then we need to continue to think about what's being said. So when it comes then to the redemptive suffering of Christ, so when we talk about Jesus suffering on the Christ, we, we, you know, if you read different theological books, they'll refer to that as his redemptive suffering. He was suffering to redeem us from our sins. That's what he was going through. He was being punished by God for our sins. He was paying the penalty, paying the price. So when it comes to his redemptive suffering, there's no deficiency. Christ didn't suffer for most of our sins. He suffered for all of our sins. Christ didn't suffer a little bit for our sins. He suffered fully for our sins. That's the teaching of Scripture. So there's no deficiency in his suffering. But when it comes to his suffering, he does not exhaust all the suffering that is to be endured in the redemptive purpose of God. So what that phrasing there is, and that's not original with me, that's a a quote from some theologian, don't remember which one. But the idea is that you kind of step away a little bit from just the redemptive suffering of Christ for our sins And we're looking at this redemptive plan. God's plan to save an incredible number of individuals out of their sin. And part of this plan that God has includes a great deal of suffering. It doesn't begin and end with just what Jesus goes through. Throughout the Bible, God's people have suffered. And the Bible is filled with prophecies that explain that as we go into the future, God's people are going to suffer. The, there is a, a war with sin. There's a, there is a war with the evil one. He hates God. He hates everything about God. He hates God's people. He wants sin to win. We even speak of the sinful desires that we have in our lives. It's as if, it's as if those sinful desires want to win. They want to dominate us. They want to control us. You know, that kind of thing. And so there's a great deal of suffering that's going on as a result of this conflict. So what we need to keep in mind then is when Paul writes this, the sufferings of Paul do not add to the finished work of Christ. When you and I suffer, we're not adding to the finished work of Christ. If we were, that would then mean in some way that we are earning favor with God. Because we're, 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 we're adding on to what Christ has done. That's, that's not what's taking place. So we're not, there's no additional sufferings to the finished work of redemption. But we are incurring in making known the redeeming work of Christ to Gentiles. Gentiles are basically, that's another word for pagans. In the Bible, Gentiles can be used of just non-Jews and sometimes just used of pagans, depending on uh, the context So basically, when we share the gospel of Christ, as individuals, as churches, whether one is a missionary or whatever the case may happen to be, there are times that there's going to be, maybe most of the time, there's going to be suffering that that we take on that's a result of making this message known. It is, as we know, it is an unpopular message. The world in general does not like it. They, They hate it. We know of many stories of individuals who've been killed for sharing the gospel, there are individuals in families uh, in different parts of the, of the world that they are being killed because they've embraced Christianity and because they share Christianity. We know of the stories of missionaries who've gone to other parts of the world who, when they share the message of Christ, are killed. And so that's 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 kind of we understand that's how it's going to be. And then he also says here that in in our passage in Corinthians that the sufferings of Christ are ours. And so, by this expression, then, again, he's not referring to Christ's agony on the cross as the substitute for our sins, but again to the various afflictions which Christ endured from a sinful world and which his followers also incur. So, in the same way that Christ suffered in bringing us redemption. And he mentioned his disciples that there would be suffering that would come into life as a result of this message because of who Christ is. Remember, christ we identify with Christ. Christ also identifies with us. Christ says, don't be surprised when the world hates you. They hated me first. He tells us the world's going to hate us because of him. The world's going to hate us because they hate him first. So there's this intimate relationship between the two. The idea then is because Christ suffered in that way, we too are going to suffer. That is, in a sense, the Christian lifestyle. Every Christian really ought to be able to experience suffering. Now, it's never the case that we should go out and try to suffer. We're not trying to bring negative things into our lives. But we also need to make sure that we're not Concerned in trying to avoid suffering for being a Christian. We are, we are to embrace that. It's, it's, because the only way to avoid that is, is to say nothing, is to is to back away, really, I guess you would say, even cowardly, in proclaiming our love for Christ or taking a stand for Christ. This was back in the uh, 1950s, I believe. There was a, a minister of a church, and I, I don't remember which city. Uh, But there was a minister who had a secretary who was uh, very faithful to God. Didn't say much, but when she did, she always spoke very boldly. Very strong, staunch Christian. She was also known because she was always very cheerful, no matter what she was going through. And one day the pastor said to her, you know, I just wish I had your faith. I wish I had your optimism. Well, she said, Well, you would, if you read your Bible right. (laughs) He said, what do you mean? I read it in Greek and in English. She said, well, you might, but you don't read it right. And then she said, because Paul says to glory in tribulation. And when you spell out glory, G-L-O-R-Y, it doesn't spell growl. When you get tribulations, you growl. You just complain all the time. And the scripture says to glory in tribulations. So you should welcome them as challenges, as opportunities, and as occasions to discover the strengthening of God. And he wrote in his journal, I was rebuked that day. (laughs) By this little old lady who loves the Lord with all of her heart, mind, and soul. Good for her boldness. Turn if you would to Acts 14. We'll begin reading in verse 19. So as you're turning there again when it talks about filling up what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ, it's almost, I guess we can picture the picture that this way that there is an an amount of suffering that is to take place. Uh, It is not suffering that adds anything to the redemptive sufferings of Christ. But it is the sufferings that has been really foreordained by God that would take place in the sharing of the glory of God, in the sharing of the gospel of Christ, in this plan of God to redeem those who's going to redeem. Beginning in verse 19 of Acts 14, it says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. On the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. There are probably certain verses in the New Testament, for sure, that some preachers are never going to touch on because it doesn't go with their message. Usually it's the ones that are health and wealth and prosperity and positive thinking. And this would be one of them, the end of 22, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so what we need to consider as believers is this, is the fact that an individual suffers for Christ and for his namesake, that means taking a stand for him, It is, in essence a high and a holy privilege you've been called by God to go through that to endure that it may be nothing more and not that this is small but you may be ostracized by some in your family maybe by many remember Jesus did say that his coming he would turn the daughter against the mother and the son against the father It's not that Jesus says, oh, I can't wait to do that. He just knows who he is is going to make that happen. And some here have experienced that. There there may be some in your family who they just don't want anything to do with you because you're a Christian. And that's before you say anything. And some of you have said some things. Not necessarily wrong, but people loathe the things that you say. Sometimes, if you've been a believer for a real long time, it is difficult to really understand the kind of emotion that some people, and maybe it's, it's a growing number, but that some people feel when they hear us speak as Christians because we, we take this for granted. We, we speak in absolutes all the time. I mean, the moment you say Jesus is the way, you've just made a, an incredible declaration Jesus is the way. You just said everyone else is wrong. You you just said there is no other way. You've just exalted Jesus as as the name of of all names. You've done all of those things. People are aware of that. And it's difficult for us to imagine how that would make anybody mad. But man, it does. It bothers them deeply. And many other things that we may say that may not even be that obvious, that really disturb the world, And then there are those who just the fact that we may claim to be a Christian already puts you in a negative light in their mind. They don't like it. They hate it. And they sometimes, maybe often, they hate you because of that. That's, that's going to happen. You and I are not going to be able to maneuver our way through the world to avoid that from happening. Again, that's never an excuse for you and I to go out and to try to be obnoxious. Because then that means they're hating you because you're an obnoxious Christian, not because you're a Christian. I think we want to make sure that we're doing all we can to make sure that if they hate us for being a Christian, it's because we were kind, loving, uh, gracious, still firm in our beliefs and unwavering, but not because we're obnoxious and, and uh, arrogant and all the rest. But it is a, a, a privilege, perhaps given to us by God. Blaise Pascal said this. This is one of those things that said that I think uh, is good for us to meditate on, and that is, he says, adversity introduces a person to himself. When to find out where you really are, going through adversity helps us to recognize who we really are as individuals. Again, when you look at the passage in Corinthians here, in particular, verses 5, 6, and 7, again, Paul here says that our comfort is abundant through Christ. So when you suffer as a believer for taking a stand, when you suffer as a believer for your faith, for the cause of Christ, there's is, there is a very real comfort that comes from God and it's always going to be abundant. In other words, when you, when you look at what he says, he says in verse 5 and 6, for as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. So he's equating those two things abundantly in both those, uh, that word is used twice there to emphasize to us not only the amount of the sufferings but that the um, comfort we're going to receive is equal to that. In fact, it's more than equal to that. Um, So in proportion, as the sufferings of Christ multiply, then our comfort through Christ comparably increases. The comfort that is used of the Lord directly uh, motivating and and should directly motivate and inspire us to carry out his plan, to deliver his message. The, the, The emphasis here on the comfort that God gives to us or the comfort that comes to us through Christ really is, the word is being used to emphasize that there's this close personal activity of Christ in our lives. Again, Maybe we are not quite accustomed to that because we don't really suffer, at least in the ways that we hear of other suffering. But I have read enough stories, I've read really lots of them, of individuals in other countries, of groups of believers in other countries who do experience a suffering that just, it it doesn't end. It's not like they suffer for a couple of weeks and then it's kind of over. We're talking month after month, year after year where they are pleading with God to deliver them for weeks on end because of the pressure they're experiencing, because of the uh, persecution that they are experiencing. There's this daily dependence upon God that they're very much aware of, that they are exercising in prayer. And again, one of the things that many of these, I would just say all of them that I've read about, that they all experience and share together is a deep and abiding Intimate joy, and they have no explanation as to where it comes from, except to say that it comes from God. It seems to be spontaneous. Across the board, across countries, there is there is no lingering hatred towards those who mistreat them. I don't know about you, but you know when they start talking about politicians, which already puts them in a negative mindset. But when they start talking about politicians in Washington, and maybe there's a rumor, or maybe it's true, about some new law they want to create or pass that's gonna make it more difficult in some way for Christians. Man, I just like those bums. Man, I like to just give me a taser. You know, I just, I mean, that's my immediate, that's my immediate thought. I'd volunteer to taser them every day. You know, it's, I would be okay with that. So there's just this you know it, it, it's not it's more than just that we take it personal Well, we take it personal that's not how we're supposed to really respond I mean not that we're going to be happy about this and yes we should fight against those things but man there's this emotion that's there that's just this disgust and I'll be honest with certain politicians it's more than others I'm not going to tell you who that is you probably could guess but it's okay but I just like, you know, there's certain ones I want to slap harder than others. But again, I, I am to expect this as a believer. This is, these things are going to happen. And those individuals, which we actually already know, they need Christ. And they are, and this is where it may get difficult, they are not individuals who need Jesus more than I do. I, I would like to think they need Jesus more than I do, but they don't. We need Jesus the same. All, we all desperately need Christ. They are not a worse unbeliever than I would be if I was still in my sin. I don't know where I would be. I might be worse than them. I, I want to eliminate this distinction, this imaginary distinction that I have between this, myself and these individuals, because it's imaginary. I'm thinking they are worse than me. They're, they're not. They're just an unbeliever. And so I need to recognize that. And so, But the idea is, is that when we suffer, if these things are all enacted that they're talking about or that we hear rumors about, God is going to comfort us with this joy. And one of the evidences, I believe, of this joy is really a lack of contempt for those who hate us. Which means maybe a lot of us are pretty far from the joy of the Lord. And I want to have that. I do. I really want to have that. I want to experience that. So Paul also indicates, which we've mentioned before, that one way Paul's afflictions would be uh, for others' comfort is that they would see that God delivered him through the affliction and they could be confident that God would deliver them. We see that God delivered Paul in his afflictions and gave Paul even more opportunities to share the gospel of Christ. You do want to remember the end of the story, though, Paul died in the end. His life was taken as a believer. He didn't die of old age. But there's no sense of defeatism with Paul. There's no sense like, oh man. There's none of that. Only joy. Only greatness. I think it's true, few believers have suffered the diverse afflictions that Paul has suffered through, but God did deliver him. You, You can see his steadfastness. I mean, he's stoned, left for dead. They drag him out of there. He, you know, he kind of gets his senses back, travels another place, starts in again. Just starts giving the gospel. Just, there's just no gap, except I guess for a couple of days of healing. But the sufferings brought Paul closer to God. They made him rely more and more on God alone. Paul was a more effective minister because of what he went through. He was more usable in the hand of God to bring consolation and salvation to God's people. So get that. Paul was a more effective minister, which again is not because he's a missionary or a pastor. This will be true for all believers. So we all will become more usable ministers or servants of God because you and I will become more usable in the hand of God to bring consolation and salvation to God's people because we all are to be involved in ministering in each other's lives. That's the normal for the Christian. So, that would then mean this, whenever we pray, oh Lord, just use me, I just want to be used by you to touch the lives of others. That may be a very dangerous prayer. Now, I don't mean that in a negative sense, because dangerous is not always negative. But it's dangerous because maybe what we're really praying is, and I think this is true, we are inviting God to bring suffering into our lives, If that's the proper tool, so God doesn't bring suffering in your life just because it's fun for him. But if that's the proper tool that God can use to make us more usable in bringing consolation and salvation to the lives of others, then so be it. So we should be thinking that way. Perhaps God, and remember, the suffering is not, again... Yes, there is this suffering for the Lord, but you do know that, that sometimes there can be suffering that you experience in relationships with other people that really might be a suffering for the Lord, you just don't know it. You just think it's just conflict. Like, there may be trouble in your marriage. Now, normally, we are all contributing to the conflict in our marriage, but there are times when it can be made a little worse if one of you is perhaps closer to the Lord or growing in your walk with the Lord a little more than the other, and so there is an extra uh towards you because of that difference. Not that you've brought it out, but usually the one who's lagging behind is very much aware of it. And it can upset him. Now, that doesn't mean that you go home today and say, you know, sweetheart, now I know why you're so angry with me. It's because I'm much godlier than you. So I'm not telling you that so that you can use that in your arsenal to kind of jab your spouse. And you shouldn't be thinking that either. But at the same time, there's still reality in that. And there will be times that you will suffer then in some of your relationships with people, whether, it's you, whether you're going to experience betrayal or what have you, that God's going to use to make you more usable in helping others to receive the comfort of God and maybe even bringing in salvation. God is making us, you could say it this way, much more human, but not in a humanistic way, but in in being like Christ. In fact, Paul says here, uh, verse 6, he says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when, when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. When Paul writes of the same sufferings, again, it's unlikely that the Corinthian believers were suffering exactly what Paul was suffering. In fact, I don't know if any of them could match the list that he, made, that he makes later on in chapter 11. But Paul can still say that they are the same sufferings because he recognizes that the exact circumstances of suffering are not as important as what God does and wants to do through the suffering. So again, it's, it's never this competition we have To see who is suffering the most. That's just, if that's what you get involved in, you you have a lot of maturity to do as a believer. But there is a sense in which we all share the same sufferings. One of the things I did notice, Theo again, a lot of stuff I've read, and some of the people I've met. Those who have suffered a great deal for the Lord, those individuals who have literally lost everything never speak of their experiences in terms of comparing them to what you've experienced or what you haven't experienced. First of all, if we did that, they win. But they don't care about that. They don't, they don't, and they don't minimize the sufferings of others. They don't. Those of us sometimes who suffer a little will do that. Trying to say that our little is still more than someone else's. It is true, It is useful, I think, at times, to compare our sufferings with those of others, maybe to see how light our burden really is. Because it is easy for us to think that our small problems are really much bigger than they are. But again, the idea here is that with God, it's what God is going to do with the sufferings that we experience. Whether they're great or small on a human scale is of no consequence. And then he ends in verse 7. I'll read this from the Amplified And our hope for you, our joyful and confident expectation of good for you, is never unwavering. It is assured. It is unshaken. For we know that just as you share and are partners in our sufferings and calamities, you also share and are partners in our comfort, consolation, and encouragement. Gramacchi, in his commentary, says this, Paul believed that what God had done for him, he would do for others. He had a steadfast hope, a firm conviction that the Corinthians would have victory through their sufferings. When we pray for others who are going through sufferings, especially if they're suffering because they are a believer, we should have this full expectation that our prayers will be answered. I I believe that our prayers will be answered in a short period of time in God bringing comfort to them. Because, again, it's not that we're concerned that God delivers them out of what's going on, but that God will deliver them in that, and the very real comfort they will experience may come immediately upon them by God the Holy Spirit. They will have that sense of joy and contentment uh, that, that, that God is in all that's going on, and it's very difficult to be able to describe, if you've not experienced that, how great and overwhelmingly wonderful that can be. Paul knew that they would be partakers of the suffering in the will of God and he also knew that they would be partakers of the comfort that comes this way their way biblical consolation involves more than just feeling sorry for someone who's in difficulty it indicates active encouragement and help to see the person through his trouble it is back to that strengthening that we mentioned last week god never promised to keep us out of the furnace of trials Rather, he has pledged to be with us in the fire and to lead us out of the oppressive flames. No believer is alone in hard times. God is there beside them. And so I want us, I do, I want us as believers to have a a proper understanding of suffering and its place in our lives as, as, as Christians, in our lives and in the lives of others, so we can be better prepared ourselves For whatever sufferings we may face and whatever we're going through now so we may better be able to empathize with others who are going through suffering now and whatever they may go through in the future that we may pray more effectively for each other and be there to help to encourage each other uh, when others are going through times of difficulty especially not only but especially when they're suffering for taking a stand for the Lord to be there to strengthen each other to help us to be able to endure To endure now or to endure tomorrow. God has called us to be part of his church. And part, part of the reasons for that is that is how God is going to strengthen us is through each other. Through just being together. Just the simple act of being together makes us stronger and more confident. That's even before we speak. That's even before we make each other laugh. That's even before we hug each other. Because we come here for the same reasons. We love Christ. We are in different places in our lives as Christians, but we love Christ. And Christ has saved us from our sins. We are individuals who all deserve to burn in hell. And we have been delivered by the grace of Christ. And we share that in common. And we are together grateful to God for that. And we are gratefully together sharing that message with others in various ways, in various venues. we should be doing that so then, when we hear of others going through times of difficulty as they carry that message out we understand we can empathize we can help we can pray we can strengthen father we thank you so much again for the message of Paul and the words he's given us here we pray Lord you help us to develop a proper understanding of suffering to expect suffering without feeling defeated without it being a negative thing in us. Father, for some of us who are younger, who feel that we may have much more to lose than those who are older, I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen their faith to recognize, Lord, that you are in charge of all things. All that we have comes from you, and we will never lack for anything as we live in your will. And though persecution may come, you will always be there for us and with us. Help us, Father, to be an encouragement to each other. Help us, Father, to be also as believers in a position to receive encouragement from with others. The Father, we may together walk through this life as you have intended, all looking forward and rejoicing to your soon return. Help us, Father, to love others as we are to love, to represent Christ well, to live well for you and to die well for you. And, as we've talked about, today to suffer well for you. Thank you, Father, for giving us the truth of your word. We do ask these things in Christ's name, amen.